You're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers Podcast, proud member of the Block M Podcast Network, brought to you by Fans First Sports. I'm Michael Smeltzer. That is Matt Hartwell, and Michigan is 11-0. You know what, Matt? When I woke up Saturday morning, the first thing I thought was, I I really think Michigan's going to need two safeties to squeeze by this Maryland team. (laughs) That's exactly how I saw this thing unfolding. So uh, let me get your quick hitters from the game. What stood out to you? Oh, I mean, there was a lot that stood out to me. I think everyone kind of just had this idea in their mind that we were going to roll Maryland, including myself, uh, just because that's historically been the case, really, uh, in recent memory, that is. Obviously, the Terps are very competitive on any given Saturday, but, you know, Michigan has a tendency to pull away from them. So that was not the case this past weekend, but uh, overall... It was an entertaining football game, whether uh, whether it, you want to say that you were entertained by who it was against or not. Uh, I thought Baby Tua, uh, to his credit, did everything in his power against the Wolverines and I would imagine his final year in, uh, in college. But, uh, you know, it was obviously a defensive masterpiece by a lot of guys, especially on the defensive line. But I found myself just so impressed by like guys like Kenneth Grant, Mason Graham, uh, players like that's ability. Mike Sane were still uh, their ability to take over games in situations like what we were in and get the dub despite the offensive struggles. So with that, I'll get your take. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the defense and the impact that they had because If you're just box score watching and scoreboard watching, technically speaking, you could say this was Michigan defense's worst game. They gave up the most points, and so numerically, it was their worst game. But I actually feel like it might have been Michigan defense's best game of the entire season. Uh, And the reason why is because we we needed every little bit of what they gave us. They came up big. Um, Baby Tua and the Maryland Terrapins is probably the best offense that Michigan has faced this year, maybe even better than Ohio State's offense. I, you know what? I'm gonna back. I'm gonna back down from that. Actually, right when I heard it come out of my mouth, you got Cade Stover, you got um, Marvin Harrison Jr. Like that's a good offense. But Fair. I think the point I'm making is that uh, Baby Tua is m- more seasoned than Kyle McCord, and so perhaps presents more uh, matchup difficulties when game planning against. But We'll find out next week against Kyle McCord. You brought up Mike Sainer still, and I've been saying this since the preseason, and I'm going to say it even louder right now after this performance. That dude's an All-American. Not all Big Ten. He's an All-American. I don't think uh, you know he'll, he'll get the nationwide respect of being actually named an All-American, although he could. I don't know. He could. But that guy, that's exactly what an All-American looks like. He has been... A, a monumental playmaker for this Michigan defense since day one. So Mikey S, great game. J.J. McCarthy, banged up, inaccurate, 
didn't look great. What is your assessment of this JJ performance? I thought uh, it was definitely the worst JJ performance that we've gotten up to this point. And uh, I'll say this, you know, Michigan is in trouble. You notice when JJ McCarthy is not hitting his receivers the way that he should be hitting his receivers, you know, if it's any other given Saturday when Michigan's dominating their competition against a lesser opponent and Michigan's cruising, being efficient with their drives, you notice that the defense is seeing the field a lot less. And to your point about it being one of the defense's better games, despite the score, you have to look at things like the turnovers. You know what I mean? J.J. McCarthy giving up an interception when the team's about to score gives a whole lot of opportunity for Maryland to have the Michigan defense out on the field with baby Tua fighting and clawing, going for little five and seven chunk yard gains, which they were killing us with all afternoon. My God, uh, I can only imagine that Ohio State's licking their chops, thinking that they're going to try something similar to this next week. But, uh, you know, going back to J.J., I just thought that, uh, you know, there's definitely something, whether it be the ankle, whether it be whatever have you, that's kind of holding him back a little bit. And, uh, you know, you kind of look at the Illinois game last year where Michigan had its struggles in a very similar way to what they had this past week against Maryland. And you have to hope that like it's just something like Sharon Moore holding a lot of stuff back, something like that. But uh, uh, J.J. McCarthy, definitely not his uh, best game up to this point, and hopefully he can get that tightened up in time for next week. Yeah, and I didn't love the play calling this week. It was okay. I get what they were going for. It's like, okay, you get a little bit of a lead, slow the game down, game control, a lot of running. If anybody is familiar with that type of approach, it's Michigan fans. But at a certain point, it's like, come on. You know, like we've evolved past 2022 uh, Michigan game planning, and you just want to see them open it up a little bit. And the one play that would have saved it all for me, and so I'm going to give Sharon more props for this play call, it was that little Blake Corum flea flicker. It went back to J.J., and then J.J. missed a wide-open Cornelius Johnson. I feel like the entire game, you know, offensive game plan would feel a lot different if they would have just connected on that one play. I think the passing yardage would have looked better. He would have got a touchdown. Uh, the feel of the game planning would have made more sense. It's like, oh, we were running the ball to set up that big pass play, but J.J. missing Cornelius on that gimme touchdown that's really what raises the questions uh, same not, play not so call much of, as uh, as last year against ohio state as well yeah and it was very similar to i want to say it was the bobble catch against bowling green which was uh when cornelius got his first touchdown of the season and it was actually one of jj's other uh terrible games of the season or maybe not terrible that game but he, he threw the three picks and so for all practical purposes, it seemed terrible. But, you know, we've got some burning questions coming up uh, and some 
Mythbuster questions coming up later in the episode, so we don't need to hammer that home too much. I have a feeling Sharon Moore, J.J. McCarthy, a lot of these other guys are going to come up later in the episode. So let's get right to our player of the game honors. And of course, we call that this guy right here and this guy right here. This guy right here. Matt, why don't you do the honors of leading off? Who is your this guy right here for Michigan versus Maryland? Well, if you're going to let me lead this segment off, Mike, I'm going to give it to one of the leaders of this football team. Mikey saying we're still hauling in two critical critical interceptions uh in just the most critical of situations so you know my this guy right here is definitely going to mike saying we're still really wishing he would have uh got credited with that uh return for the touchdown on that first one but you know he's just been coming up so big in a lot of big situations this year leads the team in interceptions you know you're not getting any better than him in the secondary this year uh, aside from Will Johnson, of course. But uh, other than that, Mike saying we're still this guy right here this week, absolutely. This guy right here and this guy right here. Mikey S. with the justified this guy right here. And of course, you know, I've been a huge fan of Mike saying we're still and uh, kind of figured you would pick that. That's one of the more obvious picks for this game. I might as well just go to the offensive side of the ball. This is you know, a predictable pick. I think I've picked this guy multiple times already this season. I'm just going to do it again because Blake Corum tied Hassan Haskins' uh, single-season rushing touchdown record for Michigan, and he is inching closer to Anthony A-Train Thomas's career rushing touchdown record at Michigan. And so Blake Corum gets my... This guy right here and this guy right here! Very fitting, and uh, I've still got a lot of guys to touch on. You know, this game really wasn't kind of a game of great performances so much of it, so much as it was a game of uh, of great plays. So I'm excited for this next segment. Yeah, well let's let's go. Uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of looking. We got a few different segments we can go to, but I think what you're referring to is. So we'll keep a good rhythm going. And Matt, I want to know what this week had you saying. Sheesh. Absolutely, buddy. And for me, the sheesh came in uh, crunch time. I'm going to give it to Kenneth Grant just because it was so crucial to extinguishing that Terrapin drive uh, late in the fourth quarter. Kenneth Grant provides a crucial stop on uh, on a run on a run play uh, allows for only a one yard gain then breaks through makes the tackle in the end zone of baby to it to grab the safety these this was just an absolutely crucial play you know maryland was just about to probably get going in the same facet that it had been all game long until kenneth grant big man just puts the game on his back and gets baby to a Right there in the end zone on top of getting Michigan some points. It had me absolutely saying sheesh this week, buddy. Let's go. KG Bowser. Sheesh. I need to get some old school Nintendo like Mario sound effects for when we talk about Kenneth Grant. Um, I love that. And I'm going to break a, a record on the show or, 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 you know, 
do something that's never been done on this show before. Or I could be wrong. I could be wrong, actually, because we had Brad Robbins last week, but I don't, or last year, but I don't think we've talked about a punter on this segment before. Oh, I'm so and glad so I, you're about to do this. I'm going to go with Tommy the Showman Doman. Tommy Doman. Sheesh. With the English to down that punt on the one yard line, which actually set up one of Michigan's two safeties of the game, backing the Maryland Terrapins up into their own territory. Don't overestimate or underestimate or undervalue the importance of a solid punter. We haven't needed him much this year, but when we've needed him, he's done a great job. Tommy Doman. Sheesh. Greatest punt I've ever seen, Mike. And at the best time ever. So, uh, you know, I was hoping that if I didn't pick it, you would pick it. And if neither of us picked him, I was going to make him an honorable mention. So congrats, Tommy Doman, for being a critical part of uh, Michigan's 1,000th win. Sheesh, my friend. It really reminded me of like a, a pro golfer when they when they drop a ball on the green and it just kind of trickles backwards just enough. You know, he just he just. Dropped it right inside the two. It had a little bit of backspin on it. I don't even think uh, the Michigan player that downed it needed to down the ball. I think the ball was just going to stop there anyway. So it was the first absolutely guy missed it entirely. Right. You know, it right. almost got missed entirely and could have bounced into the end zone. But because it had that perfect bounce off of the uh, the turf and then got touched. We ended up with the ball, so it was just incredible punt by Tommy Doman. Well, we're inching closer to the game, the game that everybody talks about all year in college football. But there's some storylines going on, and there's some question marks floating around, and there's some narratives that everybody wants to explore. And so we're going to hit everybody with some not-so-fast related to some of these myths that might be floating around related uh, to Michigan football. So let's do some Michigan Mythbusters right now. And the first thing that we want to address is the narrative that like, oh my God, the play calling is is has changed. It's terrible. Uh, with Harbaugh not on the sideline, Sharon Moore's not doing quite as good of a job. He, do, he doesn't do anything but run the ball. Uh, Matt, should Michigan fans be worried about the play calling? Not at all, Mike. And, you know, this is what kind of drives me crazy is Sharon Moore has been heavily involved in the offensive play calling long before, you know what I mean, this whole scenario has taken place. So the idea that uh, that the Michigan offensive play calling is hindranced by Sharon Moore being the head coach or the acting head coach, what have you, is just ridiculous. I think Coach Moore is working with what he's able to work with. You know, I think last year, dirt going into that Ohio State matchup, we saw Michigan empty a whole clip on the Buckeyes of things that they've been saving, that they've just been keeping held back. And I think a lot of that's kind of had to do with what Sharon Moore has within his playbook. You know what I mean? To put a, put on tape going into this game. So... I think that he's not really kind of given just a free range to do what he wants to do. 
especially at the tail end of this season. So they did what they wanted to do against Penn State rather easily last week. It looked kind of shoddy this week against Maryland, and I think that there was a reason for that. You know, they're being very careful with their injuries. I think there's just a lot more than you have to look at than the basics of, oh, Sharon Moore is the acting head coach for this one game uh, after he just had a perfectly fine performance and perfectly fine play calling masterclass against Penn State last week. So I'm far from throwing in the towel on Sharon Moore. I think he's doing just fine. And uh, and we'll see a lot of these smaller intangibles uh, get it together, um, I'm pretty sure, through practice and into this next week. Now, this could be a career-defining moment for Sharon Moore next week against Ohio State. Uh, and it really comes down to, can he get the dub? If he goes in there and he wins, it, he will gain an enormous amount of respect and quite possibly would become the head coach of another program after that. But we might be in this weird, bizarro world where Sharon Moore becomes the interim head coach of our program for the next year because there's you know rumblings that Jim Harbaugh could be suspended for a full year. Who really knows? But uh, that might be the silver lining out of all of this Harbaugh nonsense and him getting pinned for everything that's going on is uh, Sharon Moore is getting you know, head coaching opportunities. And so if he continues to get head coaching opportunities at Michigan, he's not going to go anywhere. And so that helps, uh, it helps the offensive line. It helps the offense. It helps Michigan as a whole. Um, I am a little bit concerned about the, the play calling for the games that he's been the head coach, but I don't really understand why that would make a difference. He's been calling the plays the whole year. And so it's not, it's not really like anything changed. I think it might just be a coincidence that the games he's happened to be the head coach, he's had a little bit more of a run-centric approach. The, the games have gotten a little tougher. Um, but I do remember one of the more run-heavy games that we've had this year prior was the game where he was the interim head coach uh, in, in the non-conference. And so that does make you scratch your head a little bit and wonder is something different when he's stepping into that head coach role. And I will rephrase that uh, that when it comes to decision-making, that is where the, the discrepancies rear their ugly head, right? I mean, you saw it kind of in situations where Sharon Moore needed to call timeouts, uh, make decisions on kind of which way he wanted to go with the offense with more of a run-heavy approach more of a pass-heavy approach. Uh, you, did, you did see some things that probably Jim Harbaugh wouldn't have led the team in that direction take place. So I will concede to that, that uh, he kind of needs to be better about directing the team, uh, making decisions, utilizing timeouts in the right, right circumstances. So there are definitely some things that he can take away from this game. And hopefully take into next week and get right by next week because that'll certainly you don't want to see any of that in the biggest game of the college football season. Yeah, I mean, he showed fearlessness on some fourth downs where he went for it. Uh, one of them, I even think they probably should have taken the field goal, but we're just splitting hairs at that point. You know, going for it on fourth down is is not something that you always will see an interim head coach do, but I think that just shows how 
unified and on the same page and how much confidence Harbaugh has in more. He knows he's got to go out there and call the game the way it needs to be called. And so I loved seeing the confidence from him going for it on fourth down multiple times. So the next myth or potential myth that's kind of floating out there is that J.J. McCarthy is not physically 100%. And I'll lead off on this one. I think the evidence that we saw yesterday supports that argument because he looks like he might not be 100% from the waist down. Something happened with his lower body last week. He got a little uh, banged up, was walking gingerly after the Penn State game or, you know, during the Penn State game, there was a play that he got a little banged up. And then pregame before Maryland, he looked just a little bit clunky, like he was maybe limping a little. And then a lot of people don't realize, but your foundation can really affect your accuracy when you throw the ball. If you don't feel like you have a strong, steady foundation, that can affect your confidence and your throwing motion from the waist up. And that might be happening. And so the question is, can JJ get to 100% or 99% by next week in Ann Arbor and become more accurate? I think, I think the answer is probably yes. And I think playing at home actually just helps a little bit for some reason. You know, you're, you're in your home environment. You're used to the, the sights and the sounds. You have a little bit of a more familiar warm-up routine. You don't travel. Traveling's always a little weird on your body, no matter who you are, even if you're a top-notch athlete. And so I think all those little factors that go into the game next week have me not super concerned about JJ's health, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. What do you think? You know, I think that uh, there's definitely, maybe injury is a strong word, but a dealing with something kind of going on with Mr. J.J. McCarthy the past couple weeks. Uh, To your point, he was walking pretty gingerly at points during the Penn State game, also uh, a little bit prior to the Maryland game. You know, people kind of go crazy with this rumor stuff. I don't know if it's been directly acknowledged in the press conferences or anything like that uh, up to this point, but I think where we're at is uh, J.J. McCarthy is going to play the game next week. Uh, No matter what, at this point, he was able to finish the Maryland game just fine. And uh, we'll see what kind of shape he's in next week. You know, I think he had negative uh, a certain amount of rushing yards this past week. So I think that that definitely adds to the suspicion that there may be something going on. Usually it would be more common to see J.J., break loose uh especially when he's kind of under duress which we saw him get into at a couple points during this last maryland outing uh so you know i think he is dealing with a little bit of something but hopefully it isn't too much of a of a hindrance or an impact on their game plan going into next week my suspicion is that we might see uh, a little bit more of a uh, a rushing attack going into next week i think that's what We've kind of been slowly building up to over the last couple of weeks, but obviously we'll get to that when we get there. But uh, hopefully J.J. McCarthy going through whatever he's going through uh, isn't isn't too uh, much of anything going into next week. Well, yeah, and it seems like 
we all felt like the zone read, you know, zone, you know, that little read option plays that, that JJ peels off and runs on. It kind of felt like, oh, we're saving some good ones for Ohio State. Like you just knew, you started to see it in the back half of the season where they would toy around with him and he would get easily get like 16 yards kind of run out of bounds. And you just feel like we've got a lot of that in the bag for Ohio State. It's really an X factor. And then the question becomes, is he healthy enough to do that? Because if he's not, there's no question about it. That's a major hindrance on Michigan's play calling. It, it really would be. If J.J. is not healthy enough to use his legs, um, and at one point in the season, maybe even still, he was the most accurate passer on the move, on the run, when he gets outside the pocket. So even if he's not using his legs to get downfield, if he has to use his legs to get outside the pocket and throw the ball down the field, like we need him to be near 100% uh, using his legs in order for that game to uh, look and feel the way that we'd like for it to look. Now, is there a possibility that Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards just shove it down Ohio State's throat and we actually win with a, a you know 50-yard passing performance from JJ? Like, yeah, I think we've proven that that type of situation is possible. I just don't think it's, I don't think it's likely that this year this Ohio State game is going to be that simple. I think it's, I think it's going to take a little bit of versatility from JJ. And I, I think that this is the year we want to depend on JJ's arm and legs to beat Ohio State. But since we're on the topic of injuries, let's, let's roll through a couple of these other guys. We saw Roman Wilson get a nice catch early in the, the game and took a huge hit that was maybe a targeting, maybe not a targeting. Doesn't really matter. He got blown up running across the middle. Then we saw him shortly after that with uh, street clothes on, no helmet. He clearly got shut down for the rest of the game. Didn't look like he was hurt. It, it looked and felt like a potential, like maybe even like a concussion protocol kind of thing, but it, it definitely looked precautionary. It didn't look like he was super injured. And my interpretation of the Roman Wilson thing is that it looked like we were going to, blow out Maryland and the game was under control. I think they just saw that hit and were like, shut him down, save him for next week. And then when the game got closer later in the game, I was even thinking like, man, it would have been nice if we didn't shut down Roman Wilson, you know? And so I, I think the coaching staff maybe just said like, hey, we're, it looks like we're going to win this game by a lot. Just shut down Roman and, and keep him healthy. Is that, was that your interpretation of what happened as well? You know, I, it was kind of my exact interpretation of what I thought the situation was. You saw Roman get hit, go to the locker room, come back out on the sideline, like within a matter of like 15 minutes, it felt like, uh, in street clothes, laughing it up with everybody. So, you know, I'm not going to um, speculate too much as to like, you know, he's not hurt. Or anything like that. Obviously, he got taken out of out of the game because he took a pretty serious hit. Held on to the ball like a damn warrior, by the way. Uh, the the godlihood of Roman Wilson, mm. you know, just hold on to that ball despite the targeting hit or uh, lack of targeting, what have you. But uh, yeah, it was just incredible to see him hold on to that catch. But I think it was just really just a kind of you know, take him out of the game, hold him for next week. The game looked kind of like we were going to be dominant pretty early on. So 
I wouldn't put it past the coaching staff to say, you know, just get the guy out of there for now. Yeah, and it, it ended up being okay, and I think we're going to see Roman Wilson in, in full force next week, at least hopefully so. He's another one of those guys that we would love to have uh, for the game against the Buckeyes. Another injury, we saw our guy Mike Barrett make an awesome play on that sack fumble. Um, I think that was the one that led to the Derek Moore scoop and score, right? Like, yeah, just an awesome, awesome play by Mike Barrett early in the game. And he's been continuously making plays like that for Michigan for four or five, six years while he's been, uh, been on the team. And uh, he got a little banged up, though. It was a, it was a little scary. He, he looked like he was banged up. He, he left the game. Then he came back. And so that, that's a guy that we pretty much need. I know, I know the linebacking core is strong. I know Junior Colson and uh, Ernest Hausman are competent. But Mike Barrett has really turned himself into one of the not just physical leaders of the team, but kind of a mental and emotional leader of the team. And so I really want to see him help, fully healthy for the game. Uh, do you think that he will be? You know, I think he absolutely will be. There was a, a lot of clips going around after the uh, post game that he uh, made reference to it. Uh, little, little AC sprain is what he referred it to as. Uh, I think to Mike Barrett, the game means so much to him. I think that he's going to do whatever he needs to do to rest up this week and uh, contribute in whatever ways that he's able to contribute in come next Saturday. I will say that after Barrett went down, there was a glaring hole right there in the middle of the Wolverine defense right there where he had left. You know, you had Ernest Hausman come in, who has obviously been more than capable up to this point and has been so serviceable and has made some plays. But Mike Barrett, you know, he has really come alive. He's one of the highest graded linebackers per PFF. Uh, he's really been making a name for himself here in this uh, this year with the Wolverines. So, um, you know, I hope that uh, he can continue the level of play that he's been doing. And I think that he's got a bright future ahead of him. But, you know, just a huge hole that he left. You could see in the defense there. So I'm very anxious to get him back. But I know that he's really anxious to uh, to be back as well. So I'm not too worried about that. Yeah, I was kind of kind of bummed to see a couple key players get banged up in this game because this has been the most healthy Michigan has ever been this late in the season. And I think a lot of that has to do with the weaker non-conference and then the weaker early Big Ten schedule. Um, I've never seen a Michigan team this healthy this late in the season. And, and then when I saw a couple of big injuries in this game, it it it's hard to not get frustrated because we know all of all the chips are getting pushed onto the table at, you know next week against Ohio State and then we had an offensive line injury Miles Hinton who was actually in for Ladarius Henderson and you never like when uh offensive linemen you start getting into the 3 deep and luckily for Michigan it's not technically the 3 deep we're able to shuffle some guys around we've got you know, nine or 10 offensive linemen that can play pretty much anywhere in the country. But you do want to get your, your strongest guys out there. Uh, Miles Hinton's injury looked to be a little bit more serious than the other two. I haven't been 
tuned into any of the post game stuff about Miles Hinton? Have has anybody said what exactly happened, or do we know of his health status? Uh, Sharon Moore did update it and say that there was no structural damage to uh, Miles good. Hinton's knee. So that's good. You know, however extensive that is, I think remains to be seen. I mean, you've seen cases like Blake Corum's where where he came out and played the very next week. You know what I mean? Because they had said there was no structural damage. So yeah. I don't. I don't know the severity of of what that means sometimes when they say stuff like that. But, uh, you know, hopefully he's all right. I think Michigan entered this week and they like only had Ladarius Henderson uh, and Danny Hughes listed on the injury report. And Ladarius Henderson is set to be back next week, according to Sharon Moore. So, you know, uh, really, you just hated to see all three of those guys that you had mentioned go down this past week. But hopefully, you know, at least uh, hopefully one or two of them will be back in time for next week, I think, in time to make a major impact for the biggest game of the year. I, I have a hard time seeing you hold uh, a couple of those names out of this one. Yeah, and so that kind of covers the next topic that we had to talk talk about, which was just the offensive line play in general, I, I think we all know Michigan's offensive line is going to play a huge part in any game, but especially the game. And it's one of those games where, yeah, you got to tape up a few body parts and go out there and, and, and play. I think these guys all come to Michigan so they can play in this game. And so unless they literally cannot get on the field, then I think we're going to see most of these guys uh, get out there and play in that game. And so any uh, final thoughts on the offensive line play? You know, I think uh, the offensive line has had probably the roughest go of it the past three weeks that uh, than it has at any other point this season. You know, Penn State, uh, not three weeks, I should say two weeks, but, you know, Penn State, uh, you saw them figure it out, you know, after they kind of got off to a rough rough start against the Nittany Lions edge defenders. And uh, and then this week against Maryland, I think that you saw Barnhart struggle at times. I think uh, obviously you had Hinton going down. You had things getting swapped around with uh, Moore moving Barnhart over and then fitting Trente in there to make up for Hinton being down and then already being without Ladarius Henderson. So I think... Um, you know, you've got Hinton going down after this last week, but I think Michigan's going to still be in good shape going into next week. And I honestly would love to see them do something similar to what we saw them do in Happy Valley. You know what I mean? Just go with uh, some uh, some tight end sets and get some guys out there, get Barnhart out there, you know what I mean, and, uh, and run protection and just run Blake Corum and uh, Khalil Mullings up the gut. So uh, I think the offensive line is going to be fine. I think they've had uh, their share of learning experiences and they've taken their lumps over the last couple weeks, but I don't think there's really any smoke to be made about uh, any offensive line struggles at this time. Yeah, and, you know, while, you know, there's been a lot made of the play calling and the running and the O-line play and. I would be comfortable seeing Michigan just line it up in what they call their mammoth 
formation and just get out there and play smash mouth football. I think we all thought this would be the year that it would be a little bit different. And then we have seen it be a little bit different. We've seen Michigan throw through the air with JJ. And then if you think back to the Purdue game, which feels like a year ago now, JJ threw four touchdowns and really basically threw five because there was another one that should have been a touchdown. And it looked like, oh, oh, this is it. We finally got a guy that's slinging the rock out here like Michael Penix, Bo Nix, and Caleb Williams, right? Like we're, we're going to have that smash mouth football and have this guy that can throw it around. Well, he hasn't thrown a single touchdown since that game. You had the bye week, you got Penn State, you got Maryland. And so things have cooled off from the passing standpoint. And I, I just get the feeling that they're going to let J.J. Cook a little bit in this Ohio State game. It's like you got to throw everything but the kitchen sink at these guys. And so we shall see, and we'll talk a little bit more about the game. But first, we're excited about this next announcement. Tom Brady and the team at Autograph have just announced the release of a game-changing new app that recognizes Michigan fans for their acts of fandom. The Autograph Fandom app gives you access to all your favorite Michigan content, fan challenges, and exclusive rewards for diehard Wolverines, all for doing the things you already do, like listening to this podcast. Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph, rewarding fans, or just click the link in the description and download it for free today. Use code MBREW while creating your profile. That's M-B-R-E-W while creating your profile. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash block M to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash block m all right let's talk a little bit about some spygate we don't want to sit here and beat a dead horse or speculate too much because there's a lot that we obviously do not know about this situation but we would be remiss to not at least touch on some pretty significant news that came out this week after all the promises of a tro and Santa Ono and Michigan and Ward Manuel, we're, we're going to sue, we're going to fight, uh, the Big Ten's going to regret this, we're not being treated fairly, Michigan Nation, you know, right there with them, talking shit to everybody on social media, and, and then wah, 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 right, like th- this news comes out, all of a sudden, Michigan's decided to accept the, or, or well, I shouldn't say they decided to accept the, the suspension. What they did, they indirectly decided to accept the suspension because what they did was they decided to not push the temporary restraining order, which would have allowed Harbaugh to continue to coach. And when that news dropped, 
I think we all just had this feeling like, uh oh, that's not good. Because what that likely means is that there's some evidence or something floating out there that that just got uncovered that's not good for Michigan. And sure enough, the very next day, Michigan fires linebackers coach Chris Partridge for what what the the news that's leaking is that he was fired not for having knowledge of the Connor Stallion's operation, but that he was fired for trying to coach Michigan players on what to say during the investigation. So essentially trying to cover it up. That's a big deal. You cannot do that. It doesn't look good. It makes it look like the Michigan staff were were in on this. And so uh, Chris Partridge maybe had the best of intentions in a very stressful and difficult situation, but he royally screwed everybody by doing this and then getting caught doing this. And now all of a sudden, it's it, as Michigan fans, it's hard to not feel like, okay, I got to back off a little bit and just accept what's coming down the pipeline. At least that, at least that was my you know, feeling when this came out. It's like up until this point, they've had basically nothing. It's been a lot of this rogue staff member that did a lot of outlandish things. And now you got the linebacker coach trying to cover some things up. And and I also also have to mention that there was at first a mysterious figure, a Michigan booster called Uncle T. They were referring to this guy as Uncle T um, that apparently was funding the whole operation. And so not looking good for Michigan. Uncle T is technically not associated with the program, but he is associated with uh, the Michigan-endorsed NIL Collective Champion Circle. Was so, associated. Was? Okay, maybe that's a former uh, relationship, but I don't know, Matt. I, I, I said all I need to say about, you know, I feel like we just need to be patient. Maybe maybe take what's coming to us a little bit, depending on how severe the penalty is. But how are you feeling now about the whole sign gate, signal gate, spy gate situation? Well, you know, uh, as a Michigan fan, you're frustrated, right? Because it adds yet another layer to this investigation, sign-stealing scandal, uh, what have you, right? So... There's frustration on that end. On a, on another end, you know, you'd like it to just kind of have been Connor Stallions funding this thing himself, completely acting alone. Nobody knew about it. And just that be it. That's kind of what everybody's been basing a lot of their arguments on. So for Chris Partridge to be involved in it, you know, it uh, definitely adds another layer of of stress and discomfort for fans and uh, people that are attempting to defend the program. Um, you know, it's uh, there's t- reportedly there's no direct knowledge of Chris Partridge having uh, been involved in the stop the sign stealing scheme. Uh, that being said, there's a lot of reference out there uh, in in public literature that you know he has a friendship with Connor Stallion, so it doesn't look good. And then, uh, and then, like you said, Mike, then you have this mysterious Uncle T that has entered the, uh, the arena. You know, I swear to God, man, this stuff is going to be, like, 
the most ridiculous documentary when it comes out. Uh, any new news that comes out, it's just incredible to read all of the new characters that come into play. This Uncle T, uh, it came out, you know, I guess he was affiliated with the NIL Collective Champion Circle, which you made reference to, and uh, I guess was promptly let go after uh, it came out that, you know, he had a relationship with Connor Stallions. And, you know, what I found fishy, Mike, was that uh, this Uncle T immediately gets on the horn once his name starts floating around uh, and starts doing interviews immediately with Yahoo Sports and The Athletic, uh, talking about how, like, he doesn't know Connor Stallions, yet he's talked to him on multiple occasions since he since he's left the university and that he divulged to him the whole story so you know it uh it's just not a good look you know on any end uh i certainly hope that it doesn't doesn't get any deeper than this but uh you know at this point who knows anything can happen i do remain pretty steadfast though in my stance that i really don't think harbaugh has any involvement in it I was uh, I was having an argument with a Buckeye friend of mine, bless his heart, and uh, he was like bringing up all of the usual Buckeye arguments to me, like why cancel the court date, you know? And it, I think that Michigan wouldn't have gone all all in, like head first into this legal battle unless they legitimately thought they had all of the facts. They had their argument in check, and there was nothing else that was going to be uncovered. I think Chris Partridge having the relationship that he has with Connor Stallions, talking to players, doing whatever they're saying that he did, adds another layer to it. But I'm really holding out hope that it just doesn't get any deeper than that. It really doesn't seem like that sophisticated of a plot at the root of it. So I'm just going to hold out hope right along with you, Mike, that uh, this thing just kind of turns out to be something long and drawn out and dumb and that uh, we can hopefully see the end of it and that it's not that bad. Well, you know how I feel about it. Here's how I feel about it. Just beat Ohio State. I, I mean, come on. At this point, just beat Ohio State. And and you're dreaming if you think nothing else is going to come out at this point. Now that the Chris Partridge stuff came out, I'm 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 prepared for the the most juicy soap opera of bullshit over the off season, and and I think stuff is just going to keep trickling out over uh, over the summer, and it's gonna it's just going to be a mess. I I was optimistic. I fully believed that Harbaugh didn't know anything, and the reason why is because you know, and, and haters can hate, but I actually believe what Harbaugh says. I think he's one of those people that actually does tell the truth. And if you don't believe Harbaugh, you got to believe a guy like Biff Pogey. Biff Pogey does not lie. And so I take all this and and I, I really think that Santa Ono had a conversation with Harbaugh and was like, hey, did you orchestrate this? Tell me behind closed doors so we know how to navigate this. Harbaugh was like, absolutely not. Um, he probably said, this is what we hired Connor Stallions for. This is what we know about him and probably was telling the truth. And that's when Santa Ono turned around and said, all right, we're going to fight for you. Well, unfortunately, I think there was a little bit more going on underneath Harbaugh. And uh, we're going to find out the extent of what that was. 
But with all that being said, just beat Ohio State. If you're a Michigan fan, that's all that matters this week anyway. And so we're going to start talking a little bit about the game. You and I each have five burning questions for the game. Um, we can, we'll go back and forth. And uh, my first two are, are simple. We've already, we've already talked about them, actually. I kind of doubled up because my first question is, is JJ healthy? That's my burning question. So I don't even think we've already exhausted that conversation. We don't need to talk about it. And my second question is, does Sharon Moore, a head coach, actually affect the play calling? And we actually already talked about that ad nauseum. And so we don't need to talk about that. So Matt, I'm going to let you do your first two burning questions and we'll discuss them and then we'll get into uh, swapping back and forth after that. I like it. For my first question, um, I asked, we've seen the run kind of come back to life under Sherrod Moore over the last couple weeks uh, against Penn State and also against Maryland. And, you know, by come back to life, you know, uh, I kind of wrote that, I think, towards like the middle of yesterday's game uh, in my notes, but we kind of got a little bit away from it. But what kind of approach do you think Michigan takes going into this year's matchup with Ohio State? Is it once again a run heavy offense like we've seen the last couple years? Or do we see kind of Michigan stick to what they've been more of this season, which is a heavy passing attack with a little bit of running sprinkled in between? What do you think? I've got a very easy answer for you. It depends on who's winning at halftime. If Michigan is winning at halftime, you can bet your ass we're going to see a bunch of Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards for the rest of the game. If Ohio State is winning at halftime, it's time to let J.J. cook. That's what I think the approach is going to be. Now, what do we do when we just come out from the jump? Well, actually, I think Michigan's shown that our game plan, it, it has been relatively like 50-50. And so I think we see 50-50, but everybody knows the, the identity of the game comes into full fruition in the second half. And I think it all comes down to who's winning at halftime, what approach we take. So I guess with that being said, I guess you, you would hope that it's a heavy run game in the second half because that means Michigan's up. You would hope. And, uh, you know, I think to your point, I think they're going to let JJ try to air it out a lot in the first half, similarly to how they did last year in the first half. I think they're going to give him a fair amount of passing, uh, a fair amount of uh, passing game to try and put a pad in, in the lead there and shake something out. But uh, we'll see. You know what I mean? I think that, They've also been getting heavily back into the run game, as you saw them do against Penn State, even in the first half uh, a week ago. So it'll be interesting to see which direction they take. After seeing this past week's matchup, I don't know, because I was expecting them to, to be one certain way, and then this Maryland game came out totally different than I was expecting. So uh, really interested. Also interested to see this question, Mike. Marvin Harrison Jr. stat line after the game. What is it? Ooh, interesting. Yeah, man. I I think he I think he finds the end zone once. I I, I think uh, you know something similar to what we saw Jackson Smith and Jigba do in previous years. I, 
I think it's it's not necessarily about shutting him down entirely. I think it's about containing him, uh, having game control, getting a few big stops on third down, which Michigan has shown they can do. You know, I think he catches five balls for 70 yards and a touchdown. And I, I think when it comes to Marvin Harrison Jr., that's a win, right? That's a win. That's containment. And so I'll, I'll leave it at that. There's no way in hell I'm going to predict a bigger game than that because I'm obviously a Michigan guy. And so I, I think if we can keep him to about five catches, 70 yards, a touchdown, I think that's a good sign. Yeah, I think you're uh, you're pretty right. And uh, last year, if you look at his stat line, I think he had about a buck 20 uh, and a touchdown. So I think the strategy needs to be uh, – kind of that you're not disrespecting some of Ohio State's other receivers because they've got some other receivers, you know. You uh, certainly don't want to draw too much attention away from them in favor of guarding someone like a Marvin Harrison Jr. So I think, you know, give him some space to see how containable he is. Stick someone like Will Johnson on him. You know, if he racks up some some stats, you know what I mean? If he makes some plays, so be it. But at the end of the day, you know, don't let this Ohio State offense run crazy through uh, through Cade Stover or another one of their their wideouts, you know, um, and just kind of see what happens. So I'm with you. Uh, I think that he kind of sees possibly under 100 yards. I don't think that uh, Kyle McCord is going to going to be able to. And we've seen it this year. You know, that's not even crazy to say. I think even. Uh, this past week he had what, like 30 yards or something in a touchdown. So, uh, I think that it's not uncommon of what we've seen this past year. I think we see something like 50 to 70 yards from Marvin Harrison jr. Maybe he gets into the end zone once and we'll see what happens from there. Well, that's a perfect segue because my burning question number three is, can Will Johnson cover Marvin Harrison jr.? And obviously it's not just one-on-one all game long, but I think realistically that's the matchup you look at, right? Can can a guy like Will Johnson, who's likely going to spend a lot of time covering Marvin Harrison Jr., can he win that battle? And you think back to, you know, all the great cornerback wide receiver matchups in Michigan history, and you've got the old, you know, all the old clips of guys punching each other in the mouth and you just think this is this is really building itself up to be one of those moments. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a household name for college football fans. Will Johnson, not necessarily a household name because cornerbacks don't get all of the love and attention, and uh, but he is a household name for Michigan fans, and we we happen to know if anybody can cover a guy like Marvin Harrison, it's Will Johnson. And so, Matt, can he do it? Is he up for the challenge? I think he can, Mike, and kind of like we what we were just talking about. I think that he gives him just a little bit of rope, you know? I think that he allows him to, I think that we, not allow him to, but I think he inevitably ends up making some plays just because he is one of the best receivers in college football. But ultimately, I think Kyle McCord lacks a lot of the star power that we've seen from C.J. Stroud, other Ohio State quarterbacks in the past, and I think that that comes back to bite him this year, and I don't think that 
Harrison Jr. has the stat line that he has. He even had last year against Michigan. Hopefully, uh, I'm not eating those words a week from now. But uh, I just I don't see it out of Kyle McCord. All right, what is your burning question? What are we on for you, number three? Yes, sir, number three. And I've got, how does Michigan's offense match up against this improved, I say improved, uh, because we really don't know, right? I mean, we've seen them have a couple outs against uh, Notre Dame and then also Penn State, who has a questionable offense already. So what do you make of this Ohio State defense how do you see Michigan matching up against it? Well, well, and if you would have asked me four or five weeks ago, I would have said we're going to shred shred that defense apart. Now I, you know, I'm a, a I'm not I wouldn't say hesitant, but I'm a, just a little bit more cautious going into the game. Are we going to see a slugfest, grinded out, less sexy performance? But no, I mean, I think Michigan Michigan's favored. For a reason, I, I think that they do have the upper hand on this Ohio State team, barely. Um, they got to take care of the ball and, and you know get, get it in the end zone and not settle for field goals. And I think that uh, they will get the best of this Ohio State defense. And I think that injuries are also going to be uh, something to watch for with the Michigan offense and which attack that they choose to take, Mike. You know, Ohio State a little bit banged up with uh with josh proctor being out uh ransom you know i believe is out they've had some issues back there in the secondary so it'll be interesting to see if michigan opts for a heavier rush attack against this ohio state defense or if they elect to try to air it out a little bit more with jj exploit some uh some coverage uh, and get Cornelius Johnson or Roman Wilson out there and see what kind of plays they can make. So I'm with you. I, I think it's going to be interesting to uh, to see if it's more of a grinded out slugfest this year, which I think that this game has potential to be, given the two teams' defenses this year, both being highly ranked, or if we see something similar to last year, where uh, Michigan airs it out a little bit more and then sprinkles in the run game in the second half to kind of seal it up. So I'm with you. I know that uh, we're kind of off keel here, so I'll roll right into question four. The OSU run game, they are without Mayan Williams, I believe, for the rest of the year. Travion Henderson has been good, very serviceable. Uh, Chip Tranum, uh, I think both very serviceable, serviceable backs. How do you think? This uh, this atrocious Michigan defensive line will contain this uh, Ohio State run game, and by atrocious, I mean like they are they are some they strike fear in individuals. You know, Mason Graham, uh, <laughs> Kenneth Grant, uh, Jalen Harrell, all having some of their biggest games last week ever. How do you think that uh, they come into this next game? I think by atrocious, you must mean ferocious. Ferocious, they are, I think, is, uh, they, is what I meant there. Yeah. No, well, they are. There you go. I'm here for you. I'll, I'll autocorrect you all day long. But yeah, they're ferocious. They're, um, they make other teams look atrocious for sure. And, and the, I, you know, I think calling Travion Henderson serviceable is, is, an, is an understatement. He's a damn good running back probably one of the best in the country and then train them is, is serviceable and you know they're one of the teams that 
has a one-two punch that maybe is comparable to Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. And so they have to be taken seriously. But man, I, you know, Kenny Grant, Chris Jenkins, Mason Graham, and then those four studs on the edge. I, I feel really good about Michigan's ability to play defense on the ground. Uh, Mike Barrett's health is a factor because you want Mike Barrett and Junior Colson in that second line of the defense to be fully healthy. But I think we match up well. And I'll go as far as to say um, that Michigan's front seven will maybe not shut down, but you know, close to shut down that run game. I, that, that's one of the key position group matchups that I think will be a factor. And I think Michigan has the upper hand. That's awesome. And thank you for the correction there. I legitimately wrote down atrocious here. So thank you for that. <laughs> but uh, I, right. thought they had one of, I thought they had one of their best games uh, of the season this past game. Very uh, effective. And I mentioned my Buckeye friend. I was talking to him uh, this morning and he even pointed out <laughs> defensive tackle as a particular position that I think the Buckeye faithful is. Uh, distressed about going into this week so i think it's going to be really interesting blake corum how many touchdowns does he score against ohio state this uh next week mike well i think i think two is a good answer seems to be getting a couple every game i you know i'm tempted to say three um just because you know this this could be a, a whole hell of a lot of corum that we see but multiple touchdowns Blake Corum gets multiple touchdowns in this game. I, I would set the over under at two and a half. I'll give him two, but I'm, I'm going to give him two because I feel that Michigan's passing attack might open some eyes in this game and get in the end zone a little bit more than people think. I'm going to give Roman Wilson a, a tutty. I'm going to give uh, Colston Loveland a tutty. And then I'm going to give our guy A.J. Barner a touchdown as well. And so, I, I, you know, I think... We, I think we see a lot of different dudes in the end zone. That's me being optimistic, but I, I think we'll see it. I think it'll be interesting to uh, see what Michigan held back this last week. You know, we saw Michigan recycle a lot of stuff that we've seen from them all season long in this game against Maryland, uh, even stuff that they dipped into from the 2022 season. So I think that, Similarly to what we saw last year against Ohio State with fucking Khalil Mullings jumping over the line and getting the ball to Luke Scoodmaker, I think that Jim Harbaugh, Sharon Moore, I think all of those guys have cooked up a lot of stuff that, uh, that we're going to be recycling clips of a year from now. So, holy shit, the game is, uh, is on the horizon, buddy. I'm pumped. Oh, yeah. Well, and because the game is on the horizon and you'll be there, I'll be there. Uh, it's Thanksgiving weekend, which means I've got some Thanksgiving festivities going on with family today. And so I, I got to wrap up quick. So but but let me let me do this with you right now. I've got two more questions. I just want kind of a yes, no, real quick, quick hitter answer on both of these. One, will the weather be a factor? We know it's going to be cold. There might be rain. There might even be snow or wind. Do you think uh, this turns into a weather game? Yes or no? You know, I don't think so. I think uh, it'll be overcast as the game usually uh, historically is. Uh, but I think that for the most part, 
it uh, it stays pretty cloudy, but but clear of uh, any snow or rain. Hopefully, something enjoyable right. for us to beat their ass to. I would agree with that, and especially sitting in the stands, it's a little nicer. But you know, if it means uh, if it means a victory, I'll sit there in a blizzard. I don't really care. Um, and then last I wouldn't question. be mad about some snow. I'll say that something similar to uh, 2021. But the last thing I want to do, Mike is pray for snow because my luck a blizzard will show up during that game. Yeah. Yeah. As long as there's not wind, man. I'm it seems like every Michigan game has been windy this year, you know? I'm I just want want some still conditions, but all right, last burning question here. There's a lot of position comparisons co- going into the game that people might look at JJ McCarthy versus Kyle McCord, Blake Corum versus Travion Henderson, but for me I think a key position comparison is actually Colston Loveland versus Cade Stover. And so for me, a burning question is, which tight end has a bigger game, Colston Loveland or Cade Stover? I think the smart money is on Cade Stover, actually, if you asked a non-biased individual. But something tells me that Colston Loveland is is uh, set for the game of a lifetime. I just feel like they go to him when they need a big play, and they're going to need several big plays in this one. So, Loveland or Stover, who you got? I got the big potato, Colston Loveland, baby. (laughs) You don't even got to ask me the question a second time. I've got Colston Loveland all day, and Mike Sainer still is going to freeze out Kane Stover, so I'm not even worried about it. He's going to provide us a new poster to stick on my bedroom wall uh, in epic fashion. Another batted pass away from the big boy, Cade Stover, in the end zone. So not even worried about it. I know Colston Loveland's got uh, one or two touchdowns in him this this upcoming year as well. So I think that Colston Loveland has himself a big game if uh, I'm making predictions on on anybody this upcoming week. I think it's going to be Colston Loveland, and uh, and we'll see, man. You'll be in attendance. I'll be in attendance. So we'll definitely uh, we'll definitely see where things go. But an exciting week, my friend. I'm right there with you. Colston Loveland is going to start off his 2024 Heisman campaign with a bang in the in the game this year. Um, let's wrap things up talking about Michigan basketball. But but because the powers that be decided to put this. Michigan versus Long Beach State game on the on Big Ten Plus. And since you're you represent the resistance, you're a bit of an anarchist. You refuse to get Big Ten Plus rather than watch the game and cave and and uh, let the man stick it to you. You decided to stick it to the man and you went and saw the new Trolls movie with your family. And so I'm going to give the uh, our listeners a few quick bullet points on Michigan basketball's loss to Long Beach State. Matt, you didn't miss much. And then if you want to give us a few bullet points on the new Trolls movie, because I know that's what most people have tuned into this podcast to hear. Absolutely. Um, I'll just tell you like this. Doug McDaniel is Allen Iverson. And I don't mean, I don't mean he's like Allen Iverson. I mean, Doug McDaniel is Allen Iverson. I'm going to need some sort of uh, DNA test. I need to see them both in the same room at the same time. This dude's been balling out. Uh, that's a positive. Here's some negatives. Uh, the help side defense has to get a lot better. They look like Moses uh, parting the Red Sea for the opponent every single play. Wide open layups, and not layups in fast break, 
wide open layups in the half court set. It's against a team like Long Beach State. You cannot do that. Um, this team is is gonna expect. Yeah, let me let me rephrase this. Expect this team to be in a lot of shootouts because their offense is incredible. Their defense is not great. You're gonna see a lot of high scoring games, and so they need to shore up some things on the defensive side of the ball if they want to come out uh, w- winning these games. But the thing I do love about this team is on any given night, there's seven or eight individuals that can give you an outstanding performance. We saw Namari Burnett do it uh, in, in the game against St. John's. Uh, and then Trey Jackson actually dropped 17 points off the bench in this game against Long Beach State. And we've, we saw, we've seen uh, Will Cheddar have big games. You know, there, there's a lot of different players besides just Doug McDaniel and Olivier Kamwa that can go out and get you a 20-point performance. And so that's something to be encouraged about. Uh, so anyway, that's Michigan basketball, 3-1. and one. They were uh, on the brink of being ranked in the AP poll, and they just threw it all away with this miserable loss. And so whatever, we'll see if they get better. But now for what everybody's waiting on, how was the new Trolls movie? Was it good? Trolls movie was great, Mike. I don't know uh, if there's any other parents out there that saw the first Trolls movie, but a lot of key components make their way back for part three. So definitely get an eye, take an eye out for that. Uh, also, Keenan Thompson is in the new Trolls movie, for those that don't know. Keenan Thompson, a key polarizing figure of 90s culture. And uh, sync back again for the new Trolls movie. So any... Uh, Anyone that loves the 90s will enjoy this lovely kids movie. Well, I'm 100% certain that you had a better time than me while Michigan was getting its ass handed to them by Long Beach State. You were watching the Trolls movie and having a good time. Speaking of Keenan Thompson, uh, I, I saw a trailer that, that the movie Good Burger is coming back with the same two guys. Where there's going to be a remake of Good Burger. So. Uh, that'll be interesting, but let's wrap up the show. Not talking about Keenan Thompson and the Trolls movie. Let's go ahead and wrap it up right now, getting everybody pumped for the game. If you're a sports fan, not just a college football fan, but if you're a sports fan, there is nothing bigger than when Michigan takes on Ohio State. It started off as an actual war. They were fighting over the Toledo Strip. And then Woody and Bo and the 10 Years War uh, amplified the emotions of the game that already existed. And now here we are in 2023 with all of the controversy surrounding Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh. We've got Michigan's best team in maybe 25 years fighting for a national championship. You've got guys like J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum and uh, guys all over the defense and in the offensive line that came back for one more year to beat the Buckeyes, win the Big Ten, and win the national championship. Top five matchup for the third year in a row. Michigan and Ohio State have had more top five matchups than any pair of teams in all of college football. This is set to be a good one. Matt, any closing comments on the game? I'm just excited as hell, Mike. You know, it's been a a long buildup, especially after 
everything that's happened with all this sign stealing stuff, you know, there's been a lot of shit talked on the opposing end, on my end, <laughs> on the Michigan community's end in general. Uh, just a lot of shit talk that's been happening. So I've, I'm very excited to watch a great football game and excited to see what the outcome of of this game is after all of this buildup and anticipation. So I'm really hoping for a Michigan W, buddy, and uh, and we'll kind of see what happens. But uh, I think Michigan's still got all of the key pieces to make a victory happen. They've just got to put it out there on the field. Let's go get that win. Win number 1,001, moving us to the second straight 12-0 regular season. I'm Michael Smeltzer. That's Matt Hartwell. This was the Big House Bleachers podcast. As always, go blue. Go blue. Fuck Ohio. Man, fuck Ohio. Let's go. (laughs) 